0: Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters, at patreon.com slash Educators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. I must admit, I'm an intuitive guy, and there's sometimes when you meet a person, even through Zoom or a video conference or on the phone, that you just know that they have the love, the care, the understanding, and the willingness to really dive deeply into what is meaningful and worthwhile for children. Perhaps that's the result of my many years on the trail, but I like to believe that that emanates from the person and Terry Sperry is just such a person. I first met her because we are actually collaborating on one of the most exciting projects I've been on in my whole career. It's called iCare, and what it is is an international organization to create accreditation for non-traditional schools and organizations. And over the months, I've had much to do with Terry and always found her lively, intelligent, and just a pleasure to be with. Her understanding of what families need to approach and engage non-traditional education is vast, and she shares that with us on this podcast. Welcome, Terry, and thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, Bob. I've, I've been listening to your podcast uh, almost since it started and have really enjoyed all of the conversations. And I'm just really honored to be here with you.
0: Well, you bring, thank you for that. And you bring something to the podcast that we really haven't had before. And that is, a, uh, I guess, the right word would be a center. For people in Austin, Texas, to rally around and to be able to communicate with, and I—I I was just on the phone yesterday with um, a colleague Theodore Richards, who is in Chicago and actually is a former guest on the podcast. And he was just didn't know how to bring together. He's—he's—he's he's popular there and has a very interesting program going, and he had no clue how to bring everyone together in Chicago to begin to consider uh, the kinds of things that you're doing. So tell us a little bit about your life in Austin and what you're doing there.
1: Well, sure. I run Alt at Austin, and it's kind of two things. It's an online resource center for families and educators to find out information about what's going on in the alternative education scene in the area, and uh, where to find schools, where to find after-school programs, and other educational opportunities, and discuss them. Um, But then it's also um, an in-person consulting service that I do. Um, I offer both private consultations with families and group workshops with groups of parents uh, to discuss how to evaluate whether a school might be a good fit for their kids, um, what to look for when they're visiting schools, what kinds of questions to ask, um, and also just to introduce people to the vast array of options that we have here.
0: That's so interesting, because that's exactly the kind of... uh, um, Theodore also has tremendous expertise and understanding. He's the author of several books. So how exactly did you get started, and how would someone, anyone, get into doing something like this?
1: Great questions. Um, I didn't exactly fall into it, but it was sort of um, a a series of kind of happy coincidences and links uh, that led me into it. Um, At the time I started the website, um, I had just enrolled my own kid in a very small, kind of under the radar little school. Um, At the time, it was for ages eight to 12, I believe. Um, And I kept running into friends. And, you know, parents always talk about schools when they get together, if they have kids of school age, or even before. And um, they would always ask me, well, how did you hear about this school? And why haven't I ever heard of it? And it just got me to thinking, well, how could we help families learn more about these little schools that don't have a big budget for marketing? They're not out there on billboards. Um, And so I just decided there needs to be a kind of a hub of information that's easily accessible. And so I created a website, not having any experience building websites before. I just chose a very, you know, a user-friendly platform and started um, with eight schools initially that I happened to know about, partly because I had friends who were um, educators often uh, coming from public schools or traditional private schools and starting their own programs, feeling that they had... Um, a newer better way to connect with um with children and uh so i put them on the website and just put it out there um sent the link to a few people i knew and it just spread organically and um you know within a few was, months was
0: it pretty much an instant success i mean that's kind of the implication here or was it building over a couple of years What was the timeline on it?
1: Well, um, I would say it was a near instant success in that, um, yeah, within a couple of months, I was regularly getting calls um, either from educators asking how they could get their school or program listed on the site or from parents saying they had found the site, found it useful and had some questions um, and were asking me about my insights about individual schools and um asking for help, comparing them and figuring out which would be best for their kid and um, well,
0: so people were really pretty thirsty for this yes. really looking.
1: Yeah, it, it clearly was meeting a need in the community. so so now uh, it's seven years later and, uh from you know the small beginning of eight schools listed in our alternative school directory, we now have forty-eight.
0: Forty-eight. And do they report back um the that it they it's attractive, in other words, that parents and other people are finding them due to your website?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um I've had several school directors tell me that um either we're the main source of of enrollment for them or um, that we're like 50% of the calls they get um, are coming either through our site or through consultations or workshops Um, in one way or another, um, they're coming through Alt at Austin, which is really gratifying because that that's the whole purpose of, you know, why I started it.
0: It must be tremendously gratifying. And um I know you also publish a newsletter which I look forward to reading. How many are on your uh, subscription or how many newsletter, you know, uh do you send out each month? Um how many, to how many people?
1: I believe we're around twenty five hundred um on our uh subscribers list.
0: Twenty five hundred? Yeah. Well Austin must be a hotbed for this then. That's quite a list.
1: Yeah, Austin really for quite some time has been a hotbed of um, kind of educational innovation and thought. Um, I have a few theories about why that is. Um, I I think part of it is uh, the culture of Austin itself, uh, which is very um, sort of proud of being offbeat and sort of different than the rest of Texas. And uh, there's a really strong entrepreneurial spirit, uh, kind of a DIY um, maker movement is very strong here. Lots of homeschoolers as well. Um, But also kind of on the flip side of that, we have extremely low funding for our public schools. And so that leads a lot of families um, to be dissatisfied with, um, you know, the educational services their kids are getting in the public system and looking for something different. But um, many of these families don't have the budget for, um, you know, traditional private school tuition, um, and they they aren't necessarily looking for um, what traditional private schools have to offer. They're not necessarily looking for um an the elite Prep schools an elite and that sort school. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they they want something that better matches um, their family's values and the way they're raising their children. Um, and looking for more, more holistic programs. Um, and then another another factor that makes it um, just kind of easy to start a school here in Austin is that we have um, really loose regulations, so it's it's easy to just kind of hang your shing- shingle and call it a school. <laughs> um, and so yeah,
0: it's it's similar. All of that is similar in Oregon, and here in Portland, there's all. It's also you know, alternative uh, education is. Is also very very strong, and I sense it's growing just tremendously throughout the country. And I'm just—I think that's that's wonderful. Oregon also has terrible public schools. I mean, obviously there's some good ones here and there, but in terms of national ranking, it's down way near the bottom. So, yeah, so that's those are all very important contributing factors, but it's one st- it's a step though to go from being a clearinghouse, if you will, and a and a promoter to being a consultant. what What is that step about for you?
1: Well, um I spent most of my adult life as a freelance editor, uh, mainly editing books for scholarly presses and some textbooks. And so, um, okay. Well,
0: I'm writing a new one, Terry. So I think oh. maybe I'll be sending it your way.
1: Oh. I'm sure you're not busy at all, right? <laughs> well, we can talk. We can talk. Uh, my <laughs> my sister is also an editor, and we're working on a book together. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this before, um, but uh, yeah, maybe. No, go
0: ahead, go ahead. What what book are you working on? <laughs>
1: Um, Well, it's going to be called the Alt-Ed Explainer, and uh, up until very recently, I had a regular column, actually, in our monthly newsletter called the Alt-Ed Explainer, in which I would take on a question that I'm often asked um, or a question that uh, was submitted specifically for the explainer um, to kind of illuminate uh, a specific term or concept in education um, that it is on parents' minds. Um, so we've covered many, many, many topics over the years, and um, I realized that we could collect them and turn them into kind of a handbook for parents who are – starting down the alternative education path and want to better understand, you know, what is the difference between Montessori and Waldorf and what is a forest school and what is Reggio Emilia and what do they mean by project-based learning? What, what is holistic education? What, um, what is meant by differentiation? Um, Those kinds of things.
0: Those are really important questions. And, and I, encourage you i i get I get similar questions all the time,
1: I and the distinctions
0: do. are actually yeah the distinctions are actually really quite important to people, so an outdoor school might still follow a traditional academic curricula that's a lot different than a holistic school which tries to be more relationship based and co develop the curricula with the child and the family
1: right yeah, so we're, we're adding a few chapters and some introductions, and um, soon we'll have a handy little guidebook for parents, um, hopefully.
0: Yeah, so then your consulting practice is just straightforwardly, hey, what kind of school are you looking for? Let me help you organize around what's available and uh, and put them in touch with that. And so that would imply also getting to know the families and their values, would that be a correct description of your consulting practice?
1: Um, Yes. Um, Normally I have a family fill out a pretty extensive questionnaire before they meet with me so that we don't have to cover all of those details um, when we're meeting in person. Uh, And it kind of gives us a basis for starting. So um, that questionnaire covers all sorts of things um, from the abstract to the very detailed and practical. Um, So we talk about what their values and priorities are around education, their own educational background and baggage they might be bringing to the decision, um, what fears they might have about sort of, you know, uh, taking a leap of faith into something very um, unconventional Um, And then we talk about, you know, their specific children's um, learning styles, differences, um, personality, interests are a really big one. Um, And then we talk about practical things like what part of town do you live in? How far are you realistically able to commute to the right school? Um, And, you know, financial considerations and things like that.
0: Tremendous it's just tremendous uh, uh, it's such a needed uh service uh, really for everyone in the alternative education community i uh, i just so thankful for you to be doing this and of course we know each other because we're colleagues in developing a uh, an accreditation approach for these alternative schools right um so uh is that how did that happen in other words like here you are and you're doing this and it has to be keeping you quite busy and it's a tremendous service and then, and yet you and some colleagues of yours down in in Austin decide hey what about real accreditation for uh alternative schools how how did that come about and why did you how do you have time for it <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the old time question yeah, right? was... <laughs> once we open these once we open these doors all of a sudden there's so much it's so rich and so interesting and and the people we get to deal with are so just committed and profound it's, it's really exciting so how did that happen for you in terms of the accreditation uh, group that we are both part of now
1: well um... I've been working for several years, almost since the beginning of Alt at Austin, with a group of local alternative educators who formed a kind of lo- loose coalition that eventually became a nonprofit organization called the Education Transformation Alliance. And uh, we collaborated on events and um, would meet regularly, and two of the people who um, I became closest to uh, through that process, Nishi Andra and Ali Ronder, um, who both had um, experience running uh, small alternative schools, uh, talked regularly about other things that we could do to support the alternative education movement, and particularly to support those running schools and trying to, uh, you know, fill enrollment and make their programs really sustainable over the long haul. And one thing that kept coming up was the issue of accreditation. Um, Here in Texas, schools do not need to be accredited. there's no law that says they need to, and um, yet most parents believe that it is necessary, or that their kids might not be able to get into um, a good college with if they're coming from a non-accredited school.
0: Sure. Well, you can see that the, because as you said, parents, they're doing something unconventional. A lot of them are kind of right at the border of wondering, is this really going to work? So the accreditation would allow them to step over the edge in many cases.
1: Right. But from this alternative school director's perspective, um, Getting accredited through um, the traditional accrediting agencies um, has often meant that they would need to make major changes in their programs and curriculum, uh, which they weren't willing to do. Um it's why they started the school in the first place to do things differently. and Uh, They just weren't finding accrediting bodies that um, would allow the flexibility they wanted um, to be able to really do their programs right.
0: Well, speaking as a parent, wouldn't the perception be, um, well, how valuable or how meaningful is this accreditation process if it's not going through uh, traditional channels? I mean, you know they're getting right. it out of a cereal box? I mean, what's going <laughs> right. on here?
1: Right. so so that's one of the reasons that we decided we wanted to work with you and Josette, um, <laughs> because um, you know you bring decades of experience and you know this enormous body of knowledge about relationship based education which is exactly what we wanted to focus on uh, for our accrediting process. And so, um, yeah, reaching out to you and also um, uh, to a group of um, international experts uh, who we hope will be filling out our board of advisors, um, we feel brings a lot of uh, kind of authority and credibility to our accrediting agency
0: yeah I think people don 't really understand just how many profound and well respected and um well established people uh, with uh, doctorates or educate, you know teaching in universities or have done profound research over many many years. Um, uh, are really involved in all this and sort of the provenance of holistic education. It goes back, all the way back uh, to the founding of America. And it's always attracted people from Emerson to all the way through to people like Parker Palmer and many other people who see this as essential for the whole human to unfold. And, And the advisory board will be spectacular, I'm sure. So that's what will give the parents the confidence uh, to move forward in this process.
1: Right. And, um, you know, we'll also be looking at all of the kind of main things that parents most worry about, like, you know, safety and, um, you know, are are the schools actually abiding by um, their bylaws? Or their other founding documents. are they doing what they advertise that they're doing? Um, So that's a big part of it.
0: Yes, and their financial stability. I know that's a big concern for parents. They want their kids to be there for several years if it meets their goals and needs. Right. So this is pretty extensive, and I want to go back to you. I mean, that sounds like another whole position. I mean, how do you do it?
1: Oh yeah. Where's the time <laughs> come from? <laughs> Back
0: to that question. Yes.
1: Um. Yeah. It's a balancing act uh, to some extent. My uh, consulting work is cyclical. Um, there are definitely, uh, you know, busier times of year as application deadlines approach. Uh, I tend to get, uh, you know, more more families wanting consultations. Uh, And there are slower times. The summer tends to be a little bit slower. Um, So I try to get in my writing time and, um, you know, working on other projects like this accreditation project then. But, um, you know, I'm self-employed. I'm the boss here. So (laughs) um, uh, I can sort of divide my time as needed. As things come up, um, I I'm now feeling much less busy uh, than I was in the early part of the fall because uh, I was um, pouring a lot of my energy into uh, a big event of uh, the Festival of Learning here in Austin, uh, which was kind of a school fair um, combined with a kind of celebration of all of the different ways that we can learn and all the different things we can learn as children and adults um, in school and outside of school.
0: So another was, was it the schools that are part of Alta at Austin that were, did they have booths? Was it that kind of thing?
1: Yes, um, They all had exhibits. A lot of them offered hands-on activities or other kinds of activities to engage students and their families. Um, as well as, you know, just giving out information about their schools. Um, but we also had uh, programs like uh, the City of Austin's Watershed Protection Department, um, helping people learn through hands-on activities how um, pollutants get through the watershed system. Um, we had arts programs, programs. We had um, martial arts. Uh, we had nature education programs, um, stop motion animation, uh, sex education. Uh, yeah, just wow! All...
0: That um, sounds amazing. Was it well attended?
1: Well, honestly, I was a little disappointed in the turnout. Um, we it was a an unexpectedly and unusually. Um, cold windy and wet day (laughs) and um part of the festival was outdoors so it could have been better it wasn't too bad but um uh, we're sort of exploring other times of year and maybe other venues um where uh weather won't be as big a factor sure but all in all it was it was a successful event we had um around 50 different programs. We had 20 schools and around 30 uh, kind of other educational programs participate.
0: Well, that again sounds like a tremendous amount of work and time to put together. And I know on top of all of this (laughs) that you have a family.
1: Yes, I have a family. Um, And one of the reasons I took on uh, organizing this new event this fall was um, my son had just gone off to college and I honestly was kind of filling that void (laughs) by throwing myself into um, event organizing.
0: It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise fool or trickster animal. They can be humorous with many shades of meaning shining through the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years with great effect, not only for the listener, but for me, as I have learned so much about myself through recounting these stories. Today's teaching story is called, Guess What? A wag met the wise fool. In his pocket, he had an egg. Tell me, wise fool, are you any good at guessing games? Not bad, said the wise fool Very well then, tell me what I have in my pocket Well, give me a clue then, said the wise fool It is shaped like an egg It's yellow and white inside And it looks like an egg Some sort of cake, said the wise fool Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators, and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. So many, many families speak to me and say, do you have any concrete examples of people from alternative education going to what they would call good colleges? And I mean, I do in my experience, but tell us a little bit about your son's educational uh, experience, if you would.
1: Oh, sure. Uh, So he started out in a, a brand new progressive charter school. Uh, and he was there from kindergarten through um, third grade. And then he was in a small kind of um, home, uh, home-based school. And then he was at a small alternative middle school and eventually graduated from a small alternative high school, uh, which was just fantastic. And uh, he applied to seven colleges and was accepted to all of them and received substantial uh, merit scholarships and was able to go to his uh, his top choice school, which happens to be uh, a very unconventional, fantastic liberal arts college in Canada.
0: That's amazing. And many people say. Okay, many people who go to alternative uh, schools go through what here is traditionally called eighth grade, and then they want to go to the public high school. Some of them want the socialization of it. Other times, parents get uh, concerned um, and say, "Well, if he has that right high school diploma, then he, can, then he or she can go to the college of their choice." what what was that like in an alternative high school i i don't think um people really understand that part of it very well
1: yeah um i i run into that all the time and you know honestly a big public high school is um is maybe the right choice for some kids um for my own he really preferred small classes discussion based classes um, lots of one-on-one, um, mentoring and guidance and, and his particular high school really emphasized those things. Um, and he also, uh, is kind of an interdisciplinary thinker and interested in lots of different things and finding ways to, um, put them together, explore them together. And um, his school was interdisciplinary in that way, as his, is the college he's at now. And so it was a really great fit for him. Um, but also, I really like to uh, reassure my client families that these days, with the competitiveness sort of ratcheted up every year um, in college admissions what I'm hearing college admissions officers um, tell me in person and also publishing and major uh, publications is that they are looking for candidates that stand out from the crowd. You know, they get stacks and stacks of really great, on-paper, perfect applica- applications, right? Um Many of the college bound students feel that they or their parents feel that they should take as many AP courses as possible and so forth. And, you know, check off all of the boxes for volunteer and extracurricular activities and internships. And so it's really hard to stand out in a stack of applications like that unless you've taken a very unusual path in education. And when you when you do that, you you have some really interesting things to say in a college application interview. If you've um, spent the time and had the time and encouragement and coaching in this kind of high school to figure out who you are and really explore your interests in depth, you have something interesting and unusual to say in your college appl- application essays
0: Exactly I I found ex- the same the same as you have and been able to get uh help many uh alternative uh learners uh, get into really top end schools without any problem at all because they do stand out I have Uh, My own daughter was a river guide and a uh, a ropes course facilitator by the time she was a junior in high school. And then so so then she had all those different clients that she dealt with uh, when she was hired in these different uh, occupations. Right. So that kind of thing. And they go, whoa, how did you do? How did you manage that? And so it is very important because so many – parents are right at that place because of the challenges in public school and because of the needs of the kids. How many high school students do you know that are dissatisfied with their public high school? I know many. And they oh, often so say many. to me, I'm, I'm there for my friends or I like two out of my five courses and that sort of thing. And there's just not this in enthusiasm and curiosity for learning right and alternative high schools can 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 provide that that's it's very important to for all of us to know about that
1: yeah and i think another thing these smaller alternative high schools can provide is a positive social culture for the school um, which is it's just really hard to do in you know a school with thousands of students um and, you know, they're able to really bring out what's so great about teenagers that kind of gets um, shifted to the side or suppressed in in really negative school cultures where, you know, it's cool to diss your friends or it's um, cool to do um, really unhealthy behaviors um, you know in my own kids high school there was a great amount of effort and time spent on um creating the kind of culture that where the kids felt like they could be themselves they could be their best selves they could show each other compassion they could really welcome new students and uh you know feel like they fit in no matter who they were
0: well that is a that is a conversation I often have and many of the uh parents will say well what about diversity if it's a small school uh diversity is very important in our culture right now oh, isn't there a loss there How do you respond to that question
1: Well that's a tough one because it's probably the biggest um downside I recognize uh among small private schools. It's hard. Um, and every single school director I know, um, really wants their school community to be more diverse than it is. And they're constantly looking for ways to make that happen.
0: It is, it is, it is one of the challenges. Um, I, I know that what we tried to do is just get out more. And, um, and get more involved in, in anything we could and get into some exchange programs. Uh, we really did want to have at least economic diversity if we couldn't have ethnic diversity. So we had a very robust scholarship program.
1: I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and I also some schools I know here offer work study or work, uh, work trade programs um, for parents who can, you know, offer their skills and time and energy in exchange for, um, you know, a break on tuition. That's pretty popular. Um, it's not, it doesn't work for everybody, who, you know, because not everyone has the time or flexibility to be able to do that. Um, uh, but several schools have opened uh it very intentionally in underserved parts of town.
0: How are they funded, Terry? If if they're underserved, then that implies that there's not, well, no school ever has enough money to do all that it wants to do. I know that. Yeah. But do they have backers and grants and that sort of thing? I know when, you, you know that we've run three different schools and we really did depend for at least thirty to forty percent of our budget on giving, on donations, on grants, and that sort of thing—is that how these schools in the underserved communities are funding themselves?
1: Um, yeah, to some extent, uh, they they practice all of those methods. Um, and honestly, I've seen school directors sacrifice their own salaries in order to just get yeah. a school off the ground, you know, to just figure out, all right, um, you know, can I live on and can our family live on our spouse's income for a couple of years until the school is sustainable and can pay me a salary seeing that happen. Um, I I've, I've seen other schools that, um, get a grant, kind of a startup grant from just, you know, one affluent family or company or foundation. Um, And then, yeah, grants, small donations, um, uh, kindly landlords, (laughs) um, give them a really, really sweet deal on, you know, building rent, whatever they can do. Yeah. But yeah, it remains a challenge.
0: Well, Terry, we're actually at kind of at the end of our time, and I always like to ask uh, the podcast guests if they have anything specifically that they haven't shared that they want to, or any particular pearls of wisdom that they can offer to us as a way of signing off.
1: I would just like to invite any of your listeners who are parents to really consider... Is your child happy, flourishing, thriving in school? And if not, to consider looking at some really different alternatives, uh, because there are many out there. Um, You don't have to live in Austin or Portland uh, to find um, a really great unconventional little school. Um, Sometimes they are hiding under the radar right under your nose and uh do a little digging and asking um or contact somebody maybe even from a different town um you know like you ba or me uh who might have some contacts wherever you're living um to uh help you find the right fit for your kid
0: That's great. You know the Alternative Education Resource Organization, ARO? does also keep a really great database and keeps a very good uh, website going on this as well. Yes, that's right. uh, Yeah, and has conventions uh, twice a year. And this June is going to be in Portland. So are you coming to visit, Terry?
1: I do plan to be there, yep.
0: Really? you coming to Portland?
1: Yes, I am.
0: All right, all right. (laughs) I have plans. I will talk to Josette about it and we will make some things happen.
1: Yeah, I was really excited to see it's going to be in Portland this year.
0: Pretty exciting. Well, thank you so much, Terry. And thank you for the valuable, valuable contributions you make to education and to children and families. It's so appreciated.
1: Well, right back at you,
0: Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast, and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young, our webmaster is Nathan Young, and our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com This is Ba Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere. See you next time.